0: My my Bible is page 1,289. That might be a help to you because we don't generally go to the book of Amos very often, but that's what we're going to be launching into for our summer series, and I'm incredibly excited about it. Some of you were with this last summer, you know that we went through the journey through the Beatitudes, and for whatever reason, I thought it would be fun to continue to highlight uh, watermelons uh, for a variety of different reasons that had nothing to do with really anything. So this summer, just to kind of keep things fun and light, because I know we have people traveling and going, coming and going, and that kind of thing, but something to hopefully for us to look forward to is I was thinking of what treat could I do, because I'm not beyond bribing you to come and to listen and to pay attention for a variety of different reasons. And so I I thought this was pretty clever. Famous Amos. Uh, So these will be your prizes. Uh, So you need to pay attention. Uh, There's a handout in the back. uh, Because today, for one, we're we're introducing the book of Amos because I would imagine that this is not an often uh, studied book. Uh, It's not one that you're like, I, I really need a word of encouragement. I'm going to the Amos today. Um, and so it's it's a book that I'm looking forward to studying, but today we're introducing it. So you, you might want that handout for sure today. Uh, for some of you, I know some of you, your personalities, this is perfect for you because you're going to be able to fill it in and follow along, and it kind of keeps you engaged. For others of you, if you're like me, uh, if I get a handout like that, I, all I'm focusing on is what am I supposed to put in the blank? And I don't hear anything else. If that's you, don't fill it out. Uh, get your type A neighbor that did fill it out and can pay attention and get the information from them a little bit later on. That's the whole point behind it. It's, uh, it's not a have to, it's hopefully a help. Um, but uh, for today, <clears throat> excuse me, just for, for fun, uh, the book of Amos is a part of what section of the Old Testament? Any, any guesses? The minor prophets, I can't give it to you, Tiffany, that's just not right. So here you go. Congratulations. And so, this is a part of the Minor Prophets. Uh, And so, if if you're not there yet, again, uh, uh, I I hope that you will have a a copy of Scripture with you, so that way you can just mark up that Scripture uh, to be able to underline and highlight things just like we did throughout the book of Ruth. Uh, But if you're not there, just uh, Psalms, and then make your way over to, you know, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon, which is a little bit of a a teaser. Uh, Come, Thursday night, uh, uh, MPA, Song of Solomon. We're studying through it this week. We're looking at that next segment. Section of last week was on attraction. This week is on um, dating and courtship. And you might say, uh, that's not a phase of life that I'm in right now. But as I shared with our group on Thursday, uh, you're a part of the church. And what I mean is like the church family, and we have, I believe, a a responsibility to want to be guardians and to be uh, those with our brothers and sisters in Christ who are in that stage of life, but also for uh, friends of ours, uh, whether they might be uh, friends or children or grandchildren, nieces and nephews, that we would take a biblical look and a biblical approach of what that is. So Thursday nights, I encourage you to be a part of that. but if you keep going, you'll eventually get to the major prophets, Isaiah, uh, uh, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel, Daniel, and then you'll get to Hosea, Joel, and Amos. And that's where we are uh, today. So let's read Amos chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. We're just looking at two verses today. As I mentioned, today is just an introduction. It says, The words of Amos, who was among the sheepherders from Tekoa, and these were his words, which he envisioned, in envisions, concerning Israel in the days of Uzziah, king of Judah, and in the days of Jeroboam, son of Joash, king of Israel, two years before the earthquake. And he said, the Lord roars from Zion, and from Jerusalem he utters his voice, and the shepherd's pasture grounds mourn, and the summit of Carmel dries up. The year 1939, the film The Wizard of Oz. Okay, if you would, can you put that first picture up? Who is that? Thank you, Michael. Thank you. I appreciate that. That's the cowardly lion. Come on. Uh, So that's the cowardly lion. And then uh, the the, the next thing that I want to show you is in the year 1950, the book, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, which I left in my bag. um, I want to show you the next picture. Who's that? That There you go. That's Aslan. And so uh, as as we just read just a second ago in verse 2, it says that the Lord roars from Zion. Sometimes if we're not careful, we hear the idea of God as like, or Jesus as the Lion of Judah, and we have this picture at times of maybe this kind of like very tepid, mild, and the cowardly lion. Our God is not a cowardly lion, and we also know from the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe that Aslan is that Jesus Christ figure in that wonderful book by C.S. Lewis, and we also know that, that our God, as it says about Aslan in that great, great series, is our God is not a tame lion. He's not one that we can control, that we can manipulate like some kind of genie. Our God is this lion, if you will, that is to be respected, to be revered, to be in awe, and to be drawn to, but to also to be to be feared um, because of who He is and the power uh, that He has. And so when Amos is announcing specifically uh, the voice of God, the judgment of God. My question to you is, can you hear Him? Can you hear the lion's roar? Because if, I, I know of individuals who've gone on safari, and they've been in Africa, and, and they're in their camp, and there's a very distinctive sound when you hear the lion roar, and it, it makes you sit up straight it makes you listen. You start looking at your surroundings. You're wondering how close is this creature? How close is this majestic and powerful animal? Because I need to know so that I can be properly aware of of what I need to do in response to that. And so when when Amos starts this and he's speaking on behalf of the Lord and what the Lord has to say, don't see our God as this kind little 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 kitty cat creature. Uh, our, our God is a majestic, powerful lion. And it's at a time when Amos comes along and he's simply just the main idea today is hear the lion roar and that you would rightly respond. It's not enough just to hear it. That's good. That's a great start. But if we hear what God has to say through His Word today or your time with Him tomorrow, uh, wherever you spend time with Him and whatever time uh, you do that for your devotion, it's good to hear, it's good to read, but we need to rightly respond. God is not just roaring, if you will. God is not just running His mouth and smacking His gums in order just to hear Himself talk. He speaks for purpose that we would listen and that we would respond. And so as we jump into our study, let's pray together and ask that we would, we would hear, that we would hear what He has to say. Father, I pray that as we come to uh, this passage of Scripture and to this, to this prophet, that we would, um, that we would hear that. And Father, I recognize that for so many that are in this room and those that may be joining us online, that it's so easy to have so many different things going on that our, our ears get a little bit muffled. I pray that today that we could hear you clearly. And so if you would, where you're sitting, would you just take to God that thing that is very heavy on your mind or on your heart, very real to you? and say, God, it's, it's, it's not dealt with, but I want to I hand this over to you because I don't want to be distracted. I want to hear. I want to hear what you have to say. And if you would, would you pray for me that I would, that I would articulate what God has to say. Nothing more, nothing less. Well, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, when we get to the minor prophets, and just a word on that, just because they're the minor prophets does not mean lesser than. It generally just means that they're a little bit shorter, uh, though that's not even technically always the case. Um, But when we get into the study of Amos, people can read through this and they could go, well, why, why is this so harsh? And do I want to hear this? And do I need to hear this? Do we, as as a collective, do we need to hear this today? Because because this is intense and this is hard. And I'm not I'm not dis, I'm not I'm not saying that that's not true. I'm not saying that this study will be easy. But for us as a people, sometimes what we do if we're not careful is we come to church and we say, encourage me, make me feel good. It's about me, and I just want it to be nice. And it's like sometimes the Lord needs to speak, and sometimes it's a it's with a little bit of maybe. Uh, uh, Kind of get your attention. I, I can think of times when I was younger where my dad, who dearly loves and cares for me, at times would say, Son. At other times, he would say, Son. He still loved me, still cared for me. But I was like, Yes, sir. Uh, you're going, you're, you, you want to kind of perk up to hear the authority in that room. And there are times where God is a good, loving father. Or in the other way, the good, loving bridegroom, if you will, to the nation of Israel, of saying, I'm not raising my voice out of, like, I want to hurt you, but I do want to make your, get your attention, because if you don't, consequence will happen. And that's not what I'm desiring. So yes, there is intense, harsh language and judgment all throughout the book of Amos. But what I don't want you to miss is that right in the center of it all, is that wonderful, wonderful picture right in the middle in chapter 5, I believe verse 4, where he says, seek me that you may live. Yeah, consequence, judgment, it's going to happen. But if you would repent, if you would seek me, then you would live. Hear my voice because and hear my words because they are life-giving for you. And another reason why I think that this is a word for us to listen to and to take in today is because I think we do need this today. If you just turn on the news, and you just kind of see like up front with the book of Amos, there's so much about wanting to protect the helpless and the defenseless, and the nation of Israel is just saying they can fend for themselves. And it makes me think about our day and our time of the unborn. It makes me think of how in the book of Amos, there was confusion of really kind of wanting to live how I want to live and what I think is right in my own eyes. And what we have is we have to be reminded, no, 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 no. Scripture says He created them male and female. Scripture says that what God has brought together, let no one tear asunder. That, that we would recognize that in our day and time, marriage and divorce on, 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 divorce on the rise, sexual revolution of the 1960s, is continual fallout, gender identity, gender confusion, moral relativism, sexual abuse and allegations, specifically within our own denomination. That is just heartbreaking and should break your heart and should cause you to be grieved, that that kind of thing is going on. And not just in the physical and the abuse and stuff, but, but we've even seen within, within our churches and within the church in America today, this, this drift theologically, that if we're not careful, we don't come back to just a firm foundation of what does Scripture have to say. Biblical illiteracy has been on the rise, we, we, we have this appearance at times as a church of working hard, and we want to have the right optics, like we want to look a certain way because that's how we be perceived, and if we're perceived that way, then people might come to our church, and then our church will grow, and then we'll have more money, and we'll have more money to do this, and we're all about the appearance of things as opposed to the heart of things. And you're going to see in the book of Amos that there was an incredible appearance of things, but their hearts were so far from God and the authenticity of worshiping God that this is an incredible word for us in the church today, 2022, that we would say, can I hear the lion roar? And maybe we as an individual, or I as an individual, you as an individual, we as a collective church, specifically at Mission Point would say, let us not be caught unaware of what God is saying that we would hear him, that we would respond rightly, because souls are at stake. The sanctity of marriage is at stake. The sanctity of of, of life is at stake. The sanctity of, of what God has designed is at stake. Like, we want to remain steadfast and say, regardless of the community and the culture around me, I stay steadfast with love and tact and grace, but I remain steadfast to what he has to say. And I can hear it. I can definitely hear it. I remember... It's been over a decade that, I've, that I first went through the study and the teaching of the book of Amos, and it's incredible that in about 12 to 13 years' time, what has changed socially and morally in 13 years, like you go back in your mind's eye in the last 13 years of, what is, of how things have just changed so quickly and so rapidly, especially with even in the last couple of years. I mean, it's, it's, it's going forward, and this is the thing. Sometimes what we do, if we're not careful as a church, is we wring our hands I want you to hear the steady voice of Amos throughout all of this. He's not worried. He's concerned for the nation of Israel, but he's not worried because his God is in control. He's the lion that roars, and I'm with him. And even though everyone else is standing against me, I'm with him. And so I go forth and I speak the truth. And so what we're going to find, this is in your notes, in your handout, God's words to Amos for Israel are that the nations will be judged. We'll see that in the first couple of chapters. The nations will be judged. And then we also find that God's words to Amos for Israel are that the people will be judged, specifically the people of Israel. But this is the good news. There is a remnant that will be preserved. God always has his people. God always has his remnant. I hope and pray that regardless of where culture, society takes us, that we remain steadfast and we could say, by the grace of God alone, I am within the remnant of those who remain steadfast to Christ. And so when we come to verse 1, and again, this is just us launching into Amos. This isn't us going super deep dive into the verses. So we're just kind of setting the scene for the summer to come. But the setting of the book of Amos there in your handout what we find in, in, in verse 1, we actually get a lot of information for us to have an idea of what's going on and what's the time period in which Amos is actually talking. He's talking what's known, or he's, he's ministering and, and being a prophet during the time that's known as pre-exile. I don't think that's in your notes, but you can jot it down. It's pre-exile. And really there are two exiles within the nation of Israel. One happened in the year 722-721 BC when the Assyrians came in and they exiled the northern kingdom of Israel. We'll talk about that in a second. The second exile was later on in like 587, 586 BC when the southern kingdom of Israel, Judah, was taken into exile by Babylon. And so what you have, is this is before any of that. And what you see is at this point in time in the nation of Israel, a little history lesson, is you might remember from maybe just some of your own Bible study, if not, hopefully this is new and helpful information, Uh, the people of Israel wanted a king. And so they get this guy named Saul. Saul wasn't the best king. So after Saul came King David. I think a lot of us have heard of David, David and Goliath. Like this was the warrior king. This was just a great, great king. Like the pinnacle of kings for the nation of Israel. And so King David is king, but then his son Solomon rules after him. Solomon becomes the next king, the wisest man who ever lived, though he still had his downfalls. And so here's Solomon. When Solomon dies, he has a son by the name of Rehoboam. You're going, where are we going here? Trust me, just hang with me. When Solomon was king, some of you may remember last summer we went through the book of Ecclesiastes for one Sunday, and what we found is that Solomon, he experienced so much grandeur because he had an incredible amount of wealth one of the reasons he had a lot of wealth is he taxed the nation of Israel a lot. (laughs) Like he got a lot of money from his people and he used that money to do some incredible things, but the tax and the burden was very heavy upon the people of Israel. So whenever Solomon dies and Rehoboam, his son, now becomes king, the people are like, okay, can we have a break? <laughs> We're tired. Gas prices are super high. Inflation is crazy. Could you calm it down just a little bit on, on the taxes? And Rehoboam essentially looks at the people of Israel and says, you think my dad was tough? You ain't seen nothing yet. And he's like, I'm going to double down on the taxes because I'm going to do what my, my dad did, but, but, but better. And so as a result, in the year 930 B.C., the kingdom of Israel as a whole, as one, split. You have now the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. And in the southern kingdom, you have two tribes. In the northern kingdom, you have ten tribes. In the southern kingdom of Judah, think of Jerusalem, where the temple is, uh, where the worship would take place. In the southern kingdom of Judah, that's where Solomon's son, Rehoboam, is ruling and reigning as king. In the northern kingdom, there's a guy by the name of Jeroboam, and you're gonna think of him as Jeroboam the first. Jeroboam the uh, first, he he becomes king, and God even tells Jeroboam, man, if you if if you will like serve me, submit to me, you're gonna experience some incredible things. And Jeroboam's like, yeah, no. What he decides to do is, is pretty incredible. Uh, there's going to be a scripture on the screen. Uh, let's do the First Kings 12:28. First Kings 12:28. So the king consulted. This is Jeroboam the first, the northern king of Israel. The king consulted, and look at what he did. He made two golden calves, and he said to them, "It is too much for you to go up to Jerusalem. Behold your gods, O Israel, that brought you up from the land of Egypt." So they king of the northern kingdom of Israel, Jeroboam, uh, look at what it says. It it says that he's going to make two golden calves, and he says it's too much for you to go up to Jerusalem. That language always confuses people, so I just want to hit on that. To go up, even though they're in the northern kingdom, you're like, but Jerusalem's south, and when we talk about going south, we always talk about going down, but they don't don't think that way. They think of uh, topography, geography, Going Jerusalem was higher in elevation, so that's why they're saying we're going up, even though they were going south. So he's like, hey, it's, it's, it's just too much for you guys to go to Jerusalem. I know some of you guys, you live way up here, and that's a long travel and journey to go all the way to Jerusalem to have your, your sins sacrificed for and the Day of Atonement. So here's what we're going to do. I'm going to have two strategic places to where you can get there as easily as you can geographically to where you can come and worship. and and one is Shechem, and one is Bethel, and I'm going to put one golden calf here, and one golden calf there, and no one bats an eye. Like, you're, you're falling into the sin of idolatry, into what God and Moses were very, very upset about in the story of the book of Exodus, and he's saying, look upon the God that delivered you out of Egypt. Just like God, Yahweh, is just absent from the scene, and what jeroboam the first does is he leads them into the sin of idolatry and just separating themselves from god and the question might be well why would he do that like god has already told him man if you'll be with me i will be with you you could have an incredible kingdom rule and reign and the reason why it's (laughs) to tell us all this time money and power money and power The king's like, man, I got a position that I didn't know I was going to get. I'm now the king of northern, the northern kingdom of Israel. Well, I don't want people going to Jerusalem because they're going to spend a lot of money there. And when they travel there, they're going to stay in their hotels and they're going to get all this commerce and they're going to get all this money. And that's no good. What if we had our own places of worship that they could come to and they could give us their money and it stays in our camp. And religion can be a very powerful thing. If we can get them to worship how we want them to worship, even if it's oh, just a little distant from you know, what God really teaches in Scripture, you know we're, we're still getting the effect. People are still going through you know, the motions. And so he does this for money. He does this for power. And it's entrenching him within the northern kingdom of just having more and more political power. And the reason why I mention that is because in your handout it says that Amos prophesied during the latter part of Jeroboam II. He's the king of Israel, the northern kingdom. The, so the reason why I mentioned everything about Jeroboam I is because listen to what it says about Jeroboam II. It's like 200 years later or so, about 150 years later. In 2 Kings chapter 14, it says, Jeroboam, Did evil in the sight of the Lord? He did not depart from the sins of Jeroboam the son of Nebat. That's Jeroboam the first, his namesake, kind of his great 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 granddad kind of thing, which he made Israel sin. So basically, what's happened is from the time of Jeroboam the first, the first king of the northern kingdom of Israel, till about 150 years later, until you get Jeroboam the second, the northern kingdom of Israel has just been entrenched in the sin of idolatry. And this is the thing, it is so good that our God is long-suffering, but it doesn't mean that he's always suffering. <laughs> it doesn't mean that he's indefinitely patient with us and with sin. There comes a moment in time where there is judgment and consequence, even though time and again, if you would seek me and repent, you would live. And there's coming a point where God is sending his servant Amos to the northern kingdom of Israel to say, this has to be, this has to be dealt with. It also says in verse 1, That he's prophesying during the latter part of King Uzziah, there in your handout. King Uzziah, and he is the king of the southern kingdom of Judah. It lets us know the time period that this takes place. It's during the earthquake. The earthquake was remembered for generations. Another minor prophet by the name of Zechariah says, You will flee just as you fled before the earthquake in the days of Uzziah, king of Judah. And what I love is the earthquake is this physical representation of, oh, This is when this story is kind of taking place. But as one commenter put, and I really liked it, he said, the real earthquake are the words of God through Amos. That's the real earthquake. That's the thing that should be, we should be more remembered than this physical event. And think about some of the shattering words that that God is saying through Amos. In chapters 1 and 2, he's saying, I will send fire, (laughs) In chapter 4, verse 1, listen to this. He says, hear this word, you cows of Bashan. That's what he calls the women. Like, he's not holding back any punches. In chapter 4, verse 12, he says, prepare to meet your maker. Whew, that's terrifying. Prepare to meet your God. Chapter 5, verse 21, you know what I think about your worship? Stinks. I hate it. I reject your festivals. But as I mentioned before, as harsh as it is at the heart of it all, seek me that you may live. Seek me that you may live. A little bit of an outline. A little bit of an outline. Hopefully super simple. Three sections. Chapters 1 and 2 are judgments amongst the nations that are surrounding Israel. So you're going to get like Moab and Tyre and some of those. Chapters 3 through 6 is specifically the judgments against the northern kingdom of Israel. In chapters 7 through 9, we get visions and a promise. We get visions and a promise. Now, some key matters to know about God in Amos. Because again, today's just introduction, so it's kind of giving you kind of a bird's-eye view of of what's going on with the book of Amos, because again, it's probably unfamiliar to a lot of us. But some key matters to know about God in Amos. The first is this. God describes sin as nothing less than open, defiant rebellion. Open, defiant rebellion. Sometimes we like to kind of temper and just kind of like, ah, it's not that bad. It's just a little sin. And God's like, no, 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 It is open, defiant rebellion against a holy God. Number two, God judges the nations. He also judges Judah and Israel. They aren't excluded. Social righteousness is the result of genuine religion. Social righteousness is the result of genuine religion. And that, that's a key word because this phrase, social righteousness, we're in a day and time where some of you maybe have heard of the term social justice, and some of you maybe have heard of the term social justice warriors, which in some cases has kind of become this negative thing of people who are taking social issues, and that is kind of their identity, and they just want to go down that path and fight, fight, fight. And in some instances, there are some social issues that are going on in our country right now that are worth standing up and fighting for. But if the result or the root or the foundation of what you are doing and fighting for is absent from genuine religion and faith, then all we're doing is we're just getting up here and we're pounding our fists, but we're not offering any hope. We're not offering Christ. And so if there's ever a moment where we're like, you know what we need to do? We really need to get some water to some people. Yes, do it. Hand out that bottle of water to that person who is thirsty. We're called to do that in the book of Matthew, that we would minister to the least of these. We should see those and minister to them, and that is a social form of righteousness. But all it is is we just go, here's water, here's water, here's water, here's water, and they got a full belly of food and a full belly of water. That full belly of food and that full belly of water will still send them straight to hell if they don't know Jesus. So we want to always have combined, yes, we want to love people well with their social stuff, with their issues of whether it's poverty or, or, or heartache or emotional or physical. And that, that is an open door opportunity, not so that we're just kind of doing the legalistic thing of, well, I got to talk to you about Jesus too. It's like, no, no, no. I love you enough genuinely to give you this water, to give you this food, to minister to your, to your needs. But I know of a greater need that you need I want to share that with you. So, we don't want that to be absent. And there was so much absent within the book of Amos, and not just from a religious standpoint of God, but they were even just absent of any kind of social righteousness unless it made them look good. And we'll see that. Another theme is God detests superficial worship. You might have gotten a hint of that when I read from chapter 5, verse 21. I hate, reject your festivals. He detests superficial worship. Sometimes people read this and they go, "Oh, well then can can I do this or that in a worship service?" We'll we'll get into that whenever we get there, but just know this. Just just when you're worshipping, why are you worshipping? And is your worship for for, for for him or is is it for the people that are around you? Is it a show? Every time Whenever we have an opportunity for us to lead in worship, we'll gather our, our team together, those that are working in the back, those that are working in the front, and we'll, we'll, we'll either gather behind that curtain or we'll go to the conference room and we'll pray together, not because that's what you do, but because we want to cry out to God, hopefully as individuals that we've been crying out throughout the week, God, help me sing this song, help me run this board. And we might say, oh, it's just someone you know clicking a button or doing a thing or doing the sound, but this is the thing. That whatever someone is doing within the time that we have set aside for corporate worship is that even if I can't completely key in, because I'll tell you what, I stink at running screens. Like if I was in charge of slides, you would have no idea what was going on up here. I'm just the worst at it. And so for me, I know it's going to be hard for me to key in and pay attention to what's being sung or what is being preached on. But you know what it can be? It could still be worship because I'm wanting to tee up for my friends and for my brothers and sisters in Christ and for that guest, that they might be able to be not distracted so that they can focus. And God, would you take that, something as simple and as subtle as a screen with words on it, so that way someone might hear a word from you. It matters. It's actually important. We're not going to be perfect with it, but it is important because we want to worship Him and we don't want to just go through the motions. The next one. God sends disaster as a call to repentance, and we don't like that. We like the idea of God sending blessing that we might repent. And sometimes when God sends blessing, we tend to maybe pay attention and say, thank you, God. But as a country, the nation of Israel, at times, maybe as a country and as a church, even today, God blesses, shows grace, blesses, shows grace, and we just continue to go more more, more, more. And God's like, I'm giving you so much, but you're, why are you so far from me? Why would you not want to come to the giver of the good gifts? And yet you keep going to your own things. Sometimes it takes harsh or judgment or calamity in order to unfortunately kind of wake us up out of the stupor and recognize I need to pay attention. And the last one, another sweeping theme. Uh, or uh, key things to know about God, God always has a remnant. God always has a remnant. The, the, last, the next thing I wanted you to see is on your handout on the back page, this is nothing to fill in, and again, this is just kind of for, hopefully, your personal library, your personal study. On the back of your handout, there are these uh, sweeping themes of Amos. I'm not going to go through all of these. You can read through those, but you can see that Sometimes when we read the Old Testament, specifically the minor prophets, we're like, how does this relate to me at all? I'm not trying to be self-involved that the Bible is about me, but I'm reading this, what do I take from it? And there are these sweeping themes from the book of Amos that are carried on into the New Testament, and they're even carried on when it comes to the gospel specifically. And just as an example, when it talks about judgment all throughout the book of Amos, we see that God exercises judgment on Israel. But we also see in the New Testament the idea of judgment, that in Romans 2 and 3, God's going to exercise judgment on those who reject Christ. But where's the gospel in this? Is it just judgment? Or is there good news? Well, there is good news. The goodness of God leads us to repentance, because Christ has taken all the punishment on the cross in his propitiation, that he would take the wrath of God upon himself. So yes, there is judgment, but God has found a way to have the judgment dealt with through his Son, Jesus. You can see the idea, just a couple of down, of, of uh, restoration. We know that in David, so many promises will be fulfilled in David, but we find out that the greater fulfillment of David is in Christ, Matthew chapter 1. And so since that's the case, you go to Acts chapter 2, and you say, if we're going to be restored, then we would repent so that we could experience that restoration. So take that handout. Look through it and be able to kind of study that in your own time, but recognize that there's so much going on within the book of Amos that definitely ties into the gospel and to Jesus. Don't just see it as, this is an old book, you know, like almost 3,000 years ago. What do I do with it? It's like, no, there's so much good for us throughout our study of this. Finally, let's come to the man, and then we'll be done. The man. The man is a sheep herder, a sheep herder. Some believe that Amos maybe was just kind of this country bumpkin, but in fact, he's a sheep herder, he's an agriculturalist, Uh, he is working with fig trees, like he he is moving and shaking. Some think that he is perhaps poor because of the way that he deals with the upper class in the northern kingdom of Israel, but others are actually more inclined to think maybe his business was so profitable that maybe he was kind of more of an unusual middle class, upper middle class and that he's actually attacking the higher class in the nation of Israel because he's not an outsider. He's like, man, what you have, you should should be careful with. Be responsible with what God has given you, and don't just flaunt it and don't use it as a means of becoming your idol or your God. And so um, we also find that he is from Tekoa, which is in the southern kingdom. And this is where it's kind of unusual. Amos, born, raised, lived, has his business way down south, kind of by Jerusalem in the southern kingdom. And God says, I want you to go and be my prophet in the northern kingdom. This is him essentially kind of sending his, his man as a missionary to the northern kingdom. I've always found it unusual that he said, I want you from the south to go talk to the north. Even though it's been like 150 years since you guys have been one nation, I'm wanting you to go over there. It would kind of been similar during the Cold War of someone in East Germany saying, you know what, I'm going to go to West Germany because they need to hear something that God has to say. And they're crossing that border, they're crossing that wall into a familiar culture, but also a very different culture at the same time. And so Amos makes his way up the road, if you will, into the northern kingdom of Israel. He's ministering around the same time as Hosea. That's not for anything other than just FYI. And We also find out that the superpower that's beginning to build at this time and is is on their borders is the kingdom of Assyria, the kingdom of Assyria. And we do know that eventually they will fall. Maybe about 30 years later, the Assyrians will come in to the northern kingdom of Israel and destroy it and send them into exile. We also find that Amos shows up at a very unique time in the nation of Israel. The nation of Israel, the northern kingdom, is experiencing some incredible profit. The Dow Jones, at a record high. I mean, things are just going great. Unemployment, super low. Imports and exports, just bam. Israel's never seen it so good. And here's the thing. Everything appears to look never better. And yet Amos is going to preach against the kingdom of Israel. People thought he was crazy to preach because obviously, obviously, God's hand is with this prosperous nation. And this is where we even get messed up at times with our theology is because we don't have a real theology. We have a, what I call like a karma Christianized theology. And it's just not, it's not biblical that if the hand of God and his blessing, and I'm just prosperous and life is easy, well, then that that means God is happy with me because things are good. If things are good, then God's happy with me. Or on the other side, I'm going and it's difficult and it's hard. I can barely make my payments and I can't figure out how to fill up my gas tank and God's just not providing this or that. And we go, things are hard. I'm dealing with difficulty, suffering, heartache. So obviously God's hand is against me. It could be on either end, but it's not across the board truth. We're about to see the nation of the northern kingdom of Israel is just blowing and going and i mean things are going well they are doing very well financially they're prosperous and god's like that that's not me you're not relying on me you're neglecting the unfortunate so that you can step on them and get a little bit higher that's not me and that's not my heart so let us be aware that just because we think things are going well or poorly, that that means God thinks this or that. Let us just come to the authority of Scripture and just say, God, this is, I believe, who you are. And there are going to be times where I'm going to see your hand in my life, and it's going to be good. There's going to be times in my life where I'm going to be like, God, where are you at? But you're still good, and you're still there. Finally, when God spoke, Amos listened. This is what I want to close with. This is what I want you to walk away with. My hope is that you get a a bird's-eye view, a little bit better idea of this book as we're about to launch into it. But the last thing I want you to hear is that when God spoke, Amos listened. That's a big deal. It sounds simple, but it's profoundly difficult, especially when the culture and the community around you is really kind of against you, because they were very against Amos. In Amos chapter 7, you don't need to turn there, but in Amos chapter 7, Amos is being attacked by the court, and Amos's response to the attack is like, hey, 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 <laughs> I'm not like the rest of the people around here. I'm not a prophet for hire, and I'm not the son of a prophet. I'm not a part of that crowd. Why I'm here is I have a message to deliver, and I have to deliver it. I have to, because God told me to. That's who I am. Quick word on the idea of a prophet. I grew up completely kind of just just, I, I didn't get it. When I grew up, I kept thinking of this idea that if he's talking about a prophet in Scripture or a prophet of God, my mind went to future teller. Future teller. Someone who knows the future and is going to tell you what the future is. Maybe. The better definition of a prophet is not a future teller. It is a fourth teller. F-O-R-T-H prophet is a fourth teller. Because what they're doing is they're saying, God, I hear you. What would you have me say? And I will be the voice box for God to the people of God. And when I speak forth God's words, well, if they're God's words and God is outside of time, of course he knows what the future is. Isaiah can can say the words of Isaiah 53, the suffering servant, which is obviously a future telling of the coming suffering servant of Jesus Christ, the Messiah. That is going to happen in the future. But the reason why is because he's just speaking, Isaiah is just speaking forth the words of God. And God is just like, yeah, I'm outside of time, future, past, present. I just, I just know it. And I'm just speaking forth. Just speak forth what you would have, what I would have you to say. And the reason why I, I, I bring that up is you have a message to deliver and it's not your own. As a pastor, as a preacher, I have a message to deliver and it's not my own, it's his. And sometimes we get all kinds of, what should I say and how should I have a conversation with someone in our culture and in our community? And it's this thing of, man, get into the word, know the word so that you can speak forth the word so that it's his word, not your word. Because his word will change people because his word does not return void. Speak his word. When you read about Amos, Amos is even just saying, man, I'm not really a prophet, son of a prophet. I'm just a guy that was picking figs and herding sheep. And God said, hey, go north. He's like, okay. And he went north. That's what he's called you, all of us, to do. He was just a man, but he was just a man for the job. And the reason how and why is two things. He was willing and he was equipped. He was willing to obey And then he was equipped by God with everything that he possibly could need. One of the things that I've been praying for is is for us as a church family, that we wouldn't go through just the the routine or the motions of this whole thing that we've launched since January of live, work, play, of gospel conversations. But it's something that I've discussed with uh, a lot of dear friends of mine in, in ministry is Sometimes we have this idea, and it can be, it can be used where we can have like a big event and we can reach a ton of people. But what has been the tried and true method from the New Testament church until today is sometimes those big events are are good, they are great, and I still want to have them. But what is the tried and true method is the same as it's always been, word of mouth. When I talk to you, my neighbor, when I talk to you, my coworker, when I talk to you, my family member, when I talk to you. That is how the church has always grown, by God using everyday, ordinary you and me, talking to everyday, ordinary your friend, your coworker, your neighbor. And that as you're just living life with them, you're giving them your just word of mouth of just a natural overflow of Jesus just kind of weaves into those conversations because he is at the heart of who you are and what you believe. And so I don't ever want us to get into the point of where we're like, well, i got to share something so I can put a ping pong ball in the thing. Those are just ways in which we're hopefully reminded and encouraging one another of, man, are are we being intentional about our, our talking about God and speaking up in a word of God? Because when we do, when we'll empty ourselves and allow him to fill us, we can do some incredible, incredible things for his name and for his glory and allow God to deal with the results of that. This morning we had a time to pray together for First Sunday Prayer. And just the burden that's on my heart for us, for our, our community, and for your neighbors and for your friends. And as I've said, you are better suited to reach your neighbor than I am. You're much better suited to meet your friend than I am. Because that's where you are. I want you to listen to this quote by D.L. Moody. I think it'll be on the screen. And then we'll be done. D.L. Moody says, I firmly believe that the moment our hearts are emptied of selfishness and ambition and self-seeking and everything that is contrary to God's law, the Holy Spirit will come and fill every corner of our hearts. But if we are full of pride and conceit, ambition and self-seeking, pleasure in the world, there is no room for the Spirit of God. I also believe that many a man is praying to God to fill him when he is already full, excuse me, when he is full already with something else. Before we pray that God would fill us, I believe we ought to pray that he would empty us. There must be an emptying before there can be a filling. And when the heart is turned upside down and everything that is contrary to God is turned out, then the Spirit will come. Would you close your eyes and bow your head? maybe this morning, as we launch into our study of Amos, is that you would say, oh God, examine my heart and find within me anything that doesn't need to be there. I want to empty it out that you would fill me up. Before Amos acted, before Amos moved, before Amos spoke, Amos listened and Amos obeyed. As we launch into this summer series, maybe we just begin there for you and for me before we just start speaking. Let's listen and let's obey. So what I'm asking each of you to do is that you would place yourself in an environment every day. I almost thought about saying like a couple times a week, but no, 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 no. no. Place yourself in an environment every day where you read, you listen, and you obey, and just see if God doesn't take things out of you that don't need to be there and fills you up with things that you forgot all about. And it feels good. So Father, I'm praying in Jesus' name, from my friends, from my church family, for myself, that we would come to you in just a time of repentance and confession, and that we would empty ourselves before you so that you might fill us up with everything that we could possibly need, that we would be sensitive to have the ears to hear what you have to say and the eyes to see the needs that are around us and the boldness and the courageous heart that we might... Let them know about this incredible, awesome, majestic God that is you. And I pray this in Jesus' name.